Okay, I know we just prayed, but I want to take a minute and pray again together as we step into this passage. Also, it's just a joy to be with all of you. I'm so glad each and every one of you are here. Um, I'm just going to move this back also a little bit. Okay, so I just invite you to close your eyes. Um, Maybe uncross your legs, sit up a little bit, breathe a little bit more than you've been breathing the last few moments, and just sit. Think about the fact that at some moment tonight, at some point this afternoon, you walked through these doors and you chose a place to sit, and you're inevitably sitting next to other people You're right now in this moment of time, which is pretty beautiful, if you think about it. And it might be helpful just to think about what state you're in right now. Allow your thoughts to come and go. What are you feeling? What might you be holding? And Father, we just come before you. We sit before you. Um, You're our creator. You're our guide. Thank you for knowing each of us. Thank you for knowing the stories that are held in this room. Would you let each person just know that they are known? And through this time, would you just help us to know you more? And Spirit, we just welcome your presence. Would you open our eyes that we may behold you in and through us and also around us. Amen. I'm going to start by reading our passage together. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab them. Um, And then it's also on the screen behind me. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And we're in 1 John 5 starting in verse 5. So, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. So, for those of you who haven't been with us the past few weeks, who might be visiting, we have been studying the book of 1 John together. And in our time of study, we've seen 
together that John's main goal is to urge the Christian communities that he is writing to, to hold fast to what they know and what they've also been taught. Almost all of the key themes that we've been learning are actually first introduced throughout the book of John, the gospel of John. Um, so the goal in these writings in 1 John is to encourage the audience of what they already believe and what they already know, um, which is probably some of us also. Um, and those things are that first, God is light. Christians are called to walk in the light by keeping commands. And a primary result of keeping commands is loving one another. Um, and so this is not only a grounding piece of the Christian life, but it's also proof that you actually love Christ. And John has also explained, in addition to loving one another, that the call for followers is to overcome evil and resist darkness. John teaches... Um, that genuine Christians are not defeated by the world's hostility, and they're also not compelled to turn away from it. They hold fast. They're very focused on what they know is true. So that brings us into our passage today and what John is saying right now in 1 John. Um, the chapter number five is towards the end of the book, so John is starting to summarize things, and he's also keeping in mind all the things that he's been communicating previously. Um, both in the Gospel of John and 1 John. So he's bringing us also into attention toward the testimony of Jesus and the life that we can find through him and through studying that testimony. So how does he do this? First, um, we can find that in uh, verse 5. So he poses a question, um, which is, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let me backtrack. <laughs> first, we're just going to pay attention to the question first. Who is it that overcomes the world? And the world is sin. It's evil, sorrow, pain, the brokenness and heaviness that we feel that's all around us. Um, and then John's answer to that is only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So John is saying that the only way to overcome the world is through belief in Jesus as the Son of God and also modeling our lives to live after him. And he says that it's these two things together that create true belief. Then he goes on to explain who this Jesus, Son of God, is. And we can look at verse 6 next to find sort of resolution in that. Verse 6, this, John writes, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. So the water is symbolic of Jesus' baptism. The water isn't just symbolizing rebirth and life, but it's also Jesus' identification with sinners. He didn't need to be baptized as a human, but he chose to in order to identify with us and show us that he was fully human. This is also a key moment where the Father speaks as Jesus is being baptized, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So this is a moment that we realize that the Father is giving testimony about Jesus, that he is who he says he is. The blood is the next key piece, and it represents Jesus' atoning life, his death and his resurrection. 
Only God could have power over death. And we see that when we look at Jesus's life and his death and then also his resurrection. Not a human could not do that. So we can see that the blood is what testifies that Jesus is also God. Only God could have power over death. So Jesus' life-giving birth, his baptism, and the death-killing death, his blood, are joined with a third thing, which is the spirit. And those three things together create this unified testimony. Um, the testimony, or the spirit testifies because the spirit is the one that brings truth and guidance. And we can look at earlier in John 16, the Gospel of John, in verse 13 of chapter 16, it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And, when he, will, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and he will make known to you. So we can see here that the Spirit is the head of a, or the heart of a believer. It's inside the heart, doing the inward work to convict and open our eyes to see the truth of who Christ is and also understand the meaning of not only his incarnation, his birth, his living, but also his death. Three, these three things together that come together and they are able to give us a more full, whole view of who Jesus is as the Son of God. Give us a broader perspective. So sometimes we're talking about testimony a lot. So it's kind of helpful to understand what that means and really just think about it for a minute. Um, testimony is actually a presumed derived word from the Greek word for witness, which is martus. Um, it's something that's evidential, where evidence is given. It's proof for something. So in this case, it's the water and the blood and the spirit that are testifying or proving the personhood of Jesus. They give a persuasive confirmation that Jesus is the Son of God, in fact, which means that then it would make sense for us to believe. It's proof. There's also a fun fact here, which is exciting. The fact that there are three things testifying that Jesus is who he says he is, is actually really important for the biblical context because in the Old Testament, which is specifically Deuteronomy 17 and 19, you can check if you want, um, it was practiced that every legal charge that took place must be confirmed by two to three witnesses. And this was a principle that continued into the New Testament. So what's interesting is this concept would have been pretty familiar and maybe impactful for the original listeners. So just something to keep in mind. So through all of this, all of this context and the water and the blood and the spirit, John is basically re-emphasizing and emphasizing again that Jesus is the person that he says he is. He wants his listeners to know his testimony and to believe it. And what else do we need to know about this testimony? How does that affect us? I'm going to read the next few verses from the message, which will just give us a different perspective and view 
on these um, words. So starting in verse 11, actually 13. Um, This is the testimony in essence. God gave us eternal life. The life is in his son. So whoever has the son has life. Whoever rejects the son rejects life. The purpose in writing this is simply this, that you who believe in God's son would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion, and how bold and free we then become in his presence. So what is this life? We'll talk about eternal life for one second. As Jesus is the son of God, he is also the one who gives us eternal life. He brings it. This is also what John's talking about at the beginning of the chapter, um, or of this passage in verse five. He's talking about overcoming the world. Overcoming the world is also gaining eternal life, which, as some of us know, is unlimited and all-satisfying communion with God. It's basically the life that God designed for us at the beginning of time. It's the way we were meant to live. Um, Thankfully, we don't have to wait until death to see what this life will be like. We have eternal life. The passage is in the present tense. It's current. It's happening. We have tastes of the kingdom right now all around us. We also have a call to bring this light into the lives of those around us. So if we know Jesus, we know life. Life present and also life to come. And there's more. And Jonah's going to lead us into that. Thanks, Maddie. Um, Okay, so Maddie kind of took off the plane, um, and I'm going to try to land the plane. Um, So basically answering the question, why does this matter? Um, First point of why this matters is we need the gospel story to rightly make sense of our world, of how we're meant to exist in it. Um, Spoiler alert, this world is confusing. Um, there's a lot of things that are, that look good, that are evil, and a lot of things that are evil that look good. And without um, some sort of framework of understanding, we can so easily get lost and caught up in the, the chaos and the, the evil and the darkness and sin of this world. Um, but with Jesus, we are able to have this framework of understanding, of understanding our existence. Um, we are able to answer the questions of life and rightly make sense of the life around us, of the sin, of the darkness, as well as of the goodness and of the, um, the joys. So we can kind of think of this like a key on a map, that it's like God's, or Jesus' life, his testimony is um, saying like, hey, this, or, well, yeah. We can understand uh, eternal life as Jesus basically saying like, hey, this is light, this is dark, Um, this is going to bring you pain, and this will bring you freedom. Um, We get glimpses into understanding uh, this pain and joy um, and suffering and pleasure um, when we know that our journey ends in the feast of eternity. So this kind of completely reframes the way that we're thinking about basically anything in life, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing. And um, a lot of times people will 
think like, oh, I have eternal life, and so therefore I don't need to care about this world. I can just do whatever I want, or just it's a denial of present tense. Um, but in fact, Jesus' promise of eternal life isn't a, a denial of that. Rather, it's a direct response. It's a, it's a recontextualization of um, the mixture of joy and sorrow that we experience on earth. So the, the pleasures that we experience are just appetizers. They're, they're not meant to fully and utterly satisfy us. They're, they're just meant to weigh our appetite. Um, and then the pain of this world is in part a deep hunger for the feast of eternity. Um, and again, without understanding the fact that we have this eternal life and the work that Jesus did, um, we go rogue. We try to understand these things, but, but we need the framework to, to understand um, yeah, our, our existence. And, and we can only do that because... Um, God created us and, and he gave us this eternal life and he gave us um, this knowledge to understand. Um, so as we understand this world and begin to make sense of it, um, it brings us to a place of wanting this eternal life here on earth for our lives as well as for the lives of others. So my second point is that we want goodness for this world. Um, as we see the world and make sense of it, uh, that eternal life will slowly start to seep into our innermost being. And uh, then we're, we're equipped and we're capable of going out and sharing that life with other people. And to me, this really calls like, uh, or feels like a call to faith that um, if as Christians, we actually believe and ex- should experience that when we have Christ, we also have eternal life and that affects our life on earth, um, it should equip us to make a difference in other people's lives. So, and John is also writing to people, um, to the house churches in Ephesus, uh, and he's encouraging them to live this life, to live uh, the belief in Jesus in his eternal life through their actions. So, basically, what I'm saying with this is... um, are, are there things in our lives specifically and in the lives of others that we see um, that are God breathing life, breathing eternal life into our present reality? Um, and also, do we have compassion for others? Do we, see the, um, do we have eyes to see the hopeless and the broken and believe that God wants to change, uh, change that reality for other people? And are we willing to be the handiwork to aid in making those situations better? Um, so, and I think it's important too to say that, like, with God's testimony or Jesus's testimony, um, if it is true, if John, what John is saying, that he's laying it out of like, hey, this is this is true, you can believe this, um, it should also then be true in our lives. Uh, it should be. It, it should, we, our lives should exist as a result and be um, the, the goodness and the power and the infinite love and wisdom that comes from Jesus should be flowing out into our lives, but also, again, into the lives of other people, of people around us. Um, so, yeah, that is second point. Third point of why this matters is that our testimonies have power. Um, we are living testimonies representing Jesus to other people. Um, 
showing how Jesus can bring life and redemption to all things. Um, our stories have significance and they have power because of the, the work that Jesus did. Um, this is a cheesy quote that kind of Tyler and I were talking about, but you are the only Bible that some people will ever read, which bad Sunday school quote, but true nonetheless. Um, and we, uh, we, we have to live in a way that we understand this, um, this eternal life and we can internalize it. And, and as we internalize it, then we can go forth and bring that eternal life into other people's lives and into um, areas of darkness and sin and brokenness. Um, and I think what, what really struck me about this is there's, I think, an important distinction between personal testimony and story. I'm sure a lot of us in here feel like we have a testimony, we have been saved, but it's not like one that we'd probably want to get up here and share. It's just like, yep, I had, I had loving parents and I was raised well and um, that's it. But we shouldn't discredit the fact that Jesus can bring about testimony and bring, bring about life through our lives. So it might not be the work that's in our life, but it can be the work that uh, God can and wants to do in your life. Um, and then also, it's not only in your life, it's, it's again, through your life. It's, it's the people that you're around that you're going to be impacting. Um, and that can be just as powerful of a testimony um, instead of just being like, I have a crazy story and, and this is my, my personal story. So, um, now, how do we live this out? These are the, the meat and potatoes of what to do. Um, the primary way of doing this is prayer um, and engaging with God. So I'm breaking prayer into kind of two sections. I have the first being prayer of petition, and then the second being um, contemplative prayer. So first one, prayer petition. Um, we can ask God into our situations, and we can ask God into other people's situations. We can ask the kingdom of God to be present in the lives that we live and in the lives of other people. We can grab hold of this goodness and declare it into the present, bringing it down and speaking life into our lives and into the lives around us. Um, Tim Keller, who I love dearly and am sad at the fact that he passed away, but um, Christians have the absolute assurance that their ultimate hope is infinite love or wait, sorry, that their ultimate hope is infinite personal love from God. So if we do have this ultimate assurance, we can bring down that ultimate hope into the world, into the places that we go um, and bring the light of God. And we can pray and, again, ask for these, this eternal life into these situations. Um, as Jesus wrote, on earth as it is in heaven, we can, again, bring down the eternal life. And I think a helpful visual for this for me is thinking of uh, this idea of, called, of thin places where the veil of heaven and earth is thin. And it's, it's oh, is this, is this heaven? Am I in heaven? Is this earth? And it's in our present reality, but it's, it's asking God to, to open the, the floodgates of heaven onto our current reality. And, and he does and he changes things. Um, when we ask. So last thing too, um, maybe you're in that place of darkness right now 
Um, maybe it feels like you don't have the strength to pray for yourself or pray for other people. Um, and I just want to encourage you to ask for prayer. Um, we as a community are centered around prayer. That's one of our foundational um, things that we care about. And I would just ask that you would ask for prayer. We're going to have people up at the, at the front at the end of the service to pray for you. And also just run into community. As we're in community, we can, it, it lightens the load per se of the, of the struggles of the darkness that we're experiencing. So another how I went and said um, the uh, prayer petition and now contemplative prayer. So I'm sure a lot of us know that we have eternal life but it hasn't necessarily affected the way in which we live. Um, we have it as head knowledge, but it hasn't made the eight-inch journey down to the heart. Um, so how do we do that? And I think an answer of how we do that is contemplative prayer. Um, you may ask, what is contemplative prayer? Well, I have the answer. Um, in this, it's centering prayer, which is a kind of contemplative prayer, but just... it. Is kind of used interchangeably. Uh, the centering prayer, prayer method is simple. Find a quiet place to pray alone. Sit in silence with the intention of being in God's presence. When you become aware of any thoughts or feelings, turn away from them and focus on a sacred word of your choosing. Let go of any kind of thoughts during prayer, even the most devout thoughts. And that's a quote from Thomas Keating. Um, so, this, in my opinion, and what really the Lord has been doing in my life recently is uh, in contemplative prayers, really where the Lord does his work. He does um, the spiritual surgery, per se, um, in our hearts, rearranging our hearts, rearranging our priorities, um, changing our minds in ways that we don't know how to change. You know, you can't, like, I can't just wake up one day and be like, the eternal kingdom is here, and it, it has to soak in and, and be, um, be a process. And I think another important point is consistency. Um, we so often are like, we should pray, and then we pray for a little bit, and then we fall off. And I think really the Lord works through you showing up, and it might be for a minute you show up and you have contemplative prayer, and it might be uh, as soon as you wake up, you pray for a minute, or when you step into the closet and you're going to put clothes on for the morning, you take a minute and center yourself. Um, and wherever it is, I just would encourage you to start small and to start slowly. Um, and as you do this, I hope and pray that you'll see the fruit of it and that you'll be better equipped to love other people well, to bring down the kingdom and eternal life into the darkness and the hopeless. Um, and really, like, it's such a call to be it's so, it's so powerful and important, and we just so desperately need it today to be people of peace, to have this internal, um, internal, eternal reality, um, and to take that out into the world. The world is so chaotic and quick, and um, the people who we probably know of, few, but the people who are unshaken and are peaceful and still and slow um, it's so powerful in today's day and age to, to have that. Um, so, last thing I want to leave with you um, is kind of a, a closing meditation um, on how we can see eternal life and how God is working in our lives. So,
in light of all these things that I've said and that Maddie have said, um, we want to see life eternal. We want to see that in our lives. We want to see that through our lives as well. So um, rarely, though, we get moments of uh, reflection. We rarely get moments to be like, oh, this is what the Lord has been doing in my life. Um, so uh, what Maddie and I have prepared are these little paintings that are about one inch by one inch. They're in these little silver cups on the communion table. And we, each one of the paintings has a dot of blue ink, a dot of red ink, and a dot of white ink, um, representing the uh, water, blood, and spirit. And what we want you to do is basically sit and just have a moment of stillness and um, reflect on what the Lord is doing in your present moment. So whether that's something that you're like, Lord, I want, I want the eternal kingdom for this thing, or I'm struggling to whatever it is, X, Y, and Z, or it could be a good thing of like, Lord, you're really moving me in this way right now. And then what we want you to do is take the little slip of paper and hide it. And we basically hide it in a place that you won't see it for like six to 12 months. So a good example of where you could put it is like deep in a crevice of a wallet or in a junk drawer or in your armrest in your car. And what our intent with that is, is hopefully that piece of paper will mean something radically different to you when you see it again. And it's just a, it's a, it's an exercise of being able to see the work of the Lord, to be able to see his goodness, to be able to see his, his faith, faithfulness and kindness. And, um, and hopefully we'll, we'll have these moments in, you know, six months to a year of like, I saw this thing and I'm now X, Y, and Z and the Lord is good, you know? So there's that. And I'm going to close us in prayer. And then uh, Tyler's going to come up and lead us into communion. And again, just grab one of them when you grab communion. Let me pray. Lord, we just ask that... Um, as all of us have gathered here today, that you would um, make your eternal life uh, soak into all of these stories in this room. Um, we want you, we want your goodness, and we want um, that, that light and that life that you say you give us. Um, and so we just ask for, in the moment of reflection for us to see um, right now how you may be moving. Um, and also we just ask that you would, you would do a work in our lives, that you would increase our faith, um, that we'd look at these little paintings and see, uh, see what you're doing and what you're up to and just get a glimpse of eternity um, and get a glimpse of the goodness that you provide to us. Um, Lord, you're so good to us and um, we love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Great job, guys. It's beautiful.